Let me tell you of the days of high adventure. I'm John. And I'm Kevin. And this is Six Degrees of Schwarzenegger, the podcast where we take a long, hard look at some of our favorite action movies from the era of Arnold. Schwarzenegger is the icon of the genre, and we're taking a deep dive into some of these 80s and 90s cult action movies and breaking them all the way down. We're going to get into the nitty and the gritty and examine the good, the bad, the ugly, and the laughable in these movies. But we're always coming from a place of love. You don't watch these movies as much as we have unless you have a genuine affection for them. <laughs> we meet again. Yes. This is, um, we're stepping outside of our normal zone because yeah. we're talking about a movie that neither one of us had ever grown up watching yeah, or so seen we, before. We have done what we call the blind taste test several but, times. But now this is a double blind. Double blind. And, but we have a, a, we a have wise a we sage. Have a guide. <laughs> we have a guide to help us through this. Our, uh, our most uh, prominent guest, a recurring loyal guest, fan. Andrew is with us. Hey, Andrew. Hey, and loyal fan is probably more accurate than prominent. <laughs> Maybe frequent. No, you are, you are most fine. prominent, prominent most frequent. expert, outside expert opinions. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're, go, I go couldn't, for it. I couldn't believe that you guys hadn't seen this movie. Um, well, it, it what is it? It seems like what it is, is it? right in there. It is <laughs> what? 1980, what, 1986's Highlander. Yes. Yeah. So I, I was thinking long and hard about this and I would have been, you know, what, four years old when this movie was made. And yeah. so it makes sense that like, I don't know, it just this fell out of my wheelhouse. It, and it, I don't think it was on as heavy a rotation on TBS and some other things for yeah. some reason. But I just never like it. it, it is, it's in the zeitgeist. It's been my whole life. People it's in the there ether. Can, yeah, there can there can be only one is like a thing that you grow up knowing about. But I just never seen the movie. Yeah, it's wild. See, I was only one. So my my story <laughs> of watching it was some friends of my parents. They lived out of town. And so sometimes they would come into town, they'd bring their kids with them, and then we'd have to have forced, awkward social situations with their children. Um, right. Who were fine. Like They were cool. But like it's like meeting a new kid and on day one being like, all right, I guess we play together now. Um, <laughs> but he had access to their VHS collection. Well, his dad, they were at our house and his dad like went to Blockbuster, rented it and brought what? it to our house and was like, we're watching this. And I was maybe, I don't know, nine or 10. So okay. it wasn't like old enough to be watching a hard R movie that my parents had never seen before. Um, <laughs> that's crazy. But yeah, that's it a ruled. brazen of that guy. That's, yeah. a brazen, that's a brazen guest move. See, yeah. That's but, alpha. Yeah, that's and, alpha. And then I was thinking that like, had I seen this movie at the age of nine or 10, it would have been one that I would have been obsessed with. Oh, absolutely, oh, yeah. dude. Sword fighting, like yeah. different type, like medieval swords and samurai like yeah oh it's been rad so yeah watching it this time i had the first like the first feeling that i i should have thought of years ago but this feels like star wars in the terminator universe interesting oh yeah i can see that yeah there's a lot of shades of both of those movies in this especially the more 
repeat watches going through. I'm just like, wow, they did lift a lot of like Star Wars type mythos. Yeah, uh, totally. For this thing, but and and the dude was just like a, a Terminator knockoff, the Kurgan. Yeah, yeah. And it's gritty New York. Like it has the universe of Terminator. It feels like that first movie, but at the same time, they're like Jedi's running around sword fighting. They can't, yeah. like, you know kill each yeah, other like normal human beings in the lots 80s. of really really interesting <laughs> like sci-fi elements from lots of different things and then other things that get that show up in other movies like um like a uh, weird top gun-esque sex scenes and whatnot so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah weirdly timed sex scenes too they're yeah. like oh boy he's <laughs> we're in his crosshairs but terminator had that same sex scene yeah. didn't yeah. it yeah absolutely well and it's got that same like day for night look that top gun has i totally know that it like it has that like yeah. blue coloring over it where they were like <laughs> mm, in full light this sex scene is maybe a little too much oh for yeah VR, so we're going into blue <laughs> yeah there were nips there were boobies yeah um, <laughs> but anyway i guess we should let's talk about some of the the folks behind the film absolutely so do you, you want to dive into that uh, shite? Yeah, directed by a dude named Russell Mulcahy. Never heard um, of him. Nah, me neither. I mean, he directed this and the sequel to this. He directed The Shadow. Oh, that's Did a good up watching The wait, Shadow. The, that was the one Alec with Baldwin. Is yeah. The Shadow or The Phantom? The, the Shadow Phantom was, was Billy Zane. Okay, The Shadow was Alec Baldwin. Yeah. I watched that shit. And he directed a ton of music videos. A ton of music that videos. That makes sense because... It seems like in reading the production list, like all the personnel, you get a lot of people who fucking hung their whole careers around this franchise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, he directed the second one, which is interesting because that is by far, I, as much as I love this movie, that is by far the worst film I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> I thought you were going to say maybe that it was better than this. Oh, no, no, no. I, th I thought you were too. Um, <laughs> you teased me. Highlander they 2, The Quickening tries to retcon some of the things that are like plot holes maybe of this, but in a way that destroys everything. And really the big thing is that they're trying to protect earth from a hole in the ozone layer. So it's got that what? weird, it's got that weird star Trek thing where they like try to go back in time to save the whales. Like it's a failure in every imaginable way. Oof, that is rough. <laughs> that is rough. And despite uh, the okay, he sort of sounding like a Scottish name to me, He's like an Australian dude, apparently, yeah. but whatever. Well, he may have Scottish roots, though. Absolutely. He's, his parents were, or grandparents, notorious criminals. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, written, the story and the main writer was this guy named uh, Gregory Wyden. It mm -hmm. was also written by a dude named Peter Bellwood and another guy named Larry Ferguson. Yeah, right. There. Wyden, has, again, he's one of those that has milked this franchise for all Didn't of his Didn't do a lot. Worth. Probably got a lot of this, but he did write Backdraft. Yeah. Which I in his cap there. I love Backdraft. Yeah, that movie's good. I haven't nice. thought about that movie in a while, but I love that movie. And then I saw the dude Bellwood. He wrote the sequel, like the screenplay for the sequel and really nothing else. Right. But the guy Larry Ferguson. He was busy. He was doing good shit. He did Beverly Hills Cop 2, Hunt for Red October. Solid. Um, Alien 3. Like, so at least he was making big yeah, studio and, flicks. And some quality writing stuff. Them, yeah. Uh, music by Michael Kamen. Always quality. He's come up on this podcast many times. He's like the action movie guy. But also music by who else? Oh, by, uh, well, yes, <laughs> by, by one of my favorite bands growing up, Queen. Yeah, dude, um, you, I remember in college you were loving the Queen's I Greatest Hits albums and Queen. all that shit. Loved it. Fat loved Bottom it. Girls. Yes. Was your shit bicycle? 
Yes. <laughs> I want to ride by. Um, My yeah. feelings on Queen are mixed, but. Well, and it's understandable, like, as an, as an adult with an objective viewpoint on musical quality, you can go back and listen. Like, even the album Night at the Opera is just full of questionable songs. It's like, what the hell is happening? It was like a, a amazing singer in a band that had a handful of really good songs and then a whole lot of songs that were just like, Ugh. Well, I think it was one of those, it was, they were trying to be democratic. It was like, everybody's allowed to write a song and regardless of whether it's any good, we got to <laughs> fill up this album. So some of the stuff that, like Brian May for being as like one of the great guitar gods and still just slaying worlds, like right now, just wrote some really, really weird and shitty songs. Yeah. Were you a queen guy, Andrew? Yeah. I was. Uh, and I agree a hundred percent with that take like Roger Taylor's I'm in love with my car. Like the worst, th- worst song ever. <laughs> yeah. Like there, there are some bands that like, you know, we're all going to participate equally and that's just not the way that things should be done. Like Roger Taylor, you're the drummer. Yeah. Sit it's, up there and play the drums guy. Yeah. Even Crank. like Bohemian Rhapsody, right? Amazing song. But yeah. it also was just, we're going to throw a bunch of ideas at the wall on this yeah. one. And so we're going to see what works. Because it could have just as easily been a disaster. Absolutely. You know, I think that they're one of those bands that I feel like, um, you know, Duran Duran falls in the same category for me where they're a hundred percent on and those songs got released as singles and then they needed 12 other songs to go on that yeah. album. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. Well, see queen in the streaming era would thrive. They, they would kill it because it's like, we don't, we don't need a full album. You put a song out and it gets 10 million, you know, downloads and yeah. that's the thing. And they had like those arena songs, like the arena rock songs, yeah. you know, the stadium songs big time. So yeah, Michael Kamen, Always oh, back quality. To, circling and, back to and, Cayman. And, and Queen. <laughs> but yeah, Cayman was like the dude who did Die Hard and Lethal Weapon. And Robin like Hood, a bunch Prince of, of Thieves. Yes. Roadhouse. You're one of your favorites. <laughs> uh, Open Range, I didn't realize he wrote oh, the music for. But yeah. he also did the um, that iconic, all the iconic music from the series Band of Brothers. Yeah, he's great. I think Ooh, he's nice. passed away. I believe that came oh, up when we were doing Roadhouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he passed away. I forget. I get too drunk and I forget. <laughs> don't usually don't usually shout out to the editor, but I want to on this one because there's some really weird edits in this movie. <laughs> like some really weird edits. Man, <laughs> um, yeah. and I, but the editor was this guy named Peter Honus. Uh, and he has had a storied career. Aside from this, he edited LA Confidential. Oh, amazing movie. Yeah. Great movie. He also edited the original The Fast and the Furious, which is like okay. such a far cry from LA Confidential. <laughs> that was 30 years ago. He did like. Rob Roy and he oh, did ooh. Troy. Rob like, Roy so is one of the great movies. He's done some big epic movies and some 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 weird some, ones. Yeah, some exploitation type movies and weird B action flicks. You know, as many weird edits as there are in this movie, though, there's some really great transitions, too, uh, especially as they travel through time. Uh, yeah. Agreed. The jumps, the transitions through time... I would say all but one of them nail it. And then there's one that's that's like a fucking PowerPoint presentation <laughs> bullshit that I was like, I, I paused it and I think I literally said out loud, what the fuck? The old George Lucas wipe. No, we'll we'll get to that transition later. But um, we also, yeah, we should talk about who's in this Who's movie. in this flick? Starring Christopher Lambert. Raiden from Mortal Kombat. Yeah, that was my really, my only... Um, you know, knowledge of him before this. And I knew that he was Highlander. Yeah. 
Yeah. And he was and he was Tarzan in like that 80s Tarzan movie. That, that movie was chocked full of like A-listers. I feel like that I don't know who directed it, but I feel like it was probably some big fucking deal who yeah. directed that Yeah. Because it was I think it was meant to be like a big prestige movie and I don't think it was actually very good because as I it recall. was starring Christopher Lambert. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, the dude's not really an actor if you ask me. I don't know. No. I don't know how he's good for him that he's made a career for himself on, the, a, on a meager talent. What I found the most confusing is this is a movie about a Scottish man. It has a Scottish man in it, and that Scottish man yes. does not play the Scot in the film. <laughs> he, a he, Frenchman <laughs> plays the Scot in the film. He, he plays a uh, well. He uh, and then uh, well, I, I read that Lambert was born in Little Neck, born in America, and then his dad was an ambassador to Switzerland. His dad was like a Frenchman. His parents were French, like yeah, right. diplomats. And or so, some he, shit. guaranteed, he I mean, definitely grew up speaking French. Probably and, also spoke German. Definitely not Scottish. Definitely not. Yeah, not. Apparently, uh, did you see he didn't even like speak English, barely spoke English when he got this part. He had to learn English. How do you cast him I, for that? I don't know. But there were other Scots I mean, that you could have That's Arnold's cast. whole story, though. So yeah, it, true, it works in this situation. It's your podcast. English is yeah. a second language. Well, the film. See, so, so, <laughs> so I assumed that, that he true. was like, had some mark in my, before I saw the movie, I should say, I assumed that Lambert must be like a martial artist from the Van Damme mold or the Schwarzenegger mold. Like someone who's got some talent that not everyone has. And like the accent and the weird, the struggle to act is his, like his handicap. But no, he doesn't know martial arts either. He doesn't know. And he's not much of an yeah, actor. I, no. My whole thing was that was that somebody made some phone calls and were and were trying to like further this guy's career. Like he got he, pushed to the top of the he list. Was, he was one of those people that they're like, this guy should be famous. I don't know why. I don't even get charisma from him really. No, nothing. Get nothing from him. But we'll talk more about that. <laughs> I mean, too. who else at, is in it? At least oh, sorry, in Andrew. at least in this movie he plays someone from the same continent that he is from. In Mortal Kombat he's supposed to be an Asian <laughs> like lightning god. Um, so at least in this one it's like, all right, it's only in like, I don't know, 500 miles close enough. Yeah, yeah even even in my my um pre-liberal swing like as a as a middle schooler watching Mortal Kombat, I was like, wait a minute, isn't he supposed to be, I don't know, <laughs> vaguely Asian? The fact that they would get him in Mortal Kombat and like think he was like the big name attached to that movie. And it's like, he is, that was what made me think he, this dude must have been a martial artist and like he brings some martial arts cred to the Mortal Kombat movie with all these other people we haven't ever heard of. But no, he was just Highlander, I, I guess. Think, like, yeah. Can you believe we got Highlander? The pitch was Mortal Kombat's going to have a lot of blue lightning. Yeah. So we need Christopher Lambert. We need someone who's comfortable working with who's blue got, lightning. Who's got experience with blue lightning? Oh, I got a guy. I know just the fella. I mean, his his lack of uh, uh, taekwondo or any other uh, martial arts Nothing. skill explains why Raiden does fuck all in that movie. Also, yeah. he just kind of sits around a, and appears. He just yeah. He's like, I'm not allowed to participate. Except for the moments that I participate, I just yeah. sit back and I'm kind of like the guru or something. I'm the, I'm the sensei for you guys. Supposed to be your coach. I give you guys some pep talks. <laughs> Who but, else is in this movie? Uh, well, we've the talked about it a little opposite. bit. Complete opposite. Yeah, we got someone with charisma and like just appeal for days. Sean Connery, the man, rest in peace. Yeah, just this one of the all-time swoon-worthy stars of the big natural screen. Natural performer, natural talent. 
Yeah, he's awesome. He's done it all. Yeah. Um, we, we could spend a whole podcast just talking about his credits. Yeah. But yeah, Connery's fucking killer. Clancy Brown, young Clancy Brown. Very young. Byron Hadley. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> One of the most, like... The, terrifying characters ever yeah we were talking about the evil uh prison guard from shawshank redemption it turns out not to be that evil in the end right right pussy um using starship troopers he's been busy with um star wars stuff of late we've talked about him voice acting yeah he's done voice acting he did the voice of the character writer azadi in the rebel series and he had a bit part in i think it was a couple episodes recurring role in mandalorian and i only like this was just kismet that i found this out uh, I didn't realize that he is the voice of Mr. Krabs in SpongeBob. Ooh. I saw that. I saw that on IMDb that he'd done it, but I didn't know like, he was what? on the he series. He is the guy. He is like all. He's Mr. Krabs from day one. That's awesome. That's amazing to me. Yeah, what a great voice that is that he does for that character. He, yeah, he is like one of the saving graces of this movie, and we'll talk more yes. about it. But it's like we've he carries talked, it. Yeah, we've talked a lot about villains enjoying being the villain, and man, he just like laps it up from scene one. <laughs> and then we have an actress, Roxanne Hart, playing the character of Brenda, mm-hmm. who didn't have a whole lot else in her career that jumped out at me. She works a lot, does a right. lot of just TV stuff. But yeah, there was no um, no actresses that really did a whole lot other than be in this movie right? as far as a career. Also, we should mention there's multiple versions of this movie floating around out there. Right. Um, I watched and took notes on the unrated version, I guess. Is that the one you... Did you end up watching that once, one? Once I started like messaging back and forth saying there's something wrong because the the version on HBO, I guess, was the maybe the theatrical release or a, a an edited version, an approved edited version. But like when I was comparing it to your notes, I was like, oh, shit, something mm-hmm. something's wrong. And so I was... I was at first thinking like it'd be really interesting just to do like I'll do my notes on this version and then we could compare notes but then I was like that's going to be such a fucking hassle so I switched over to the version that's on Amazon for free which I think is like the director's cut yeah. or also known as the unrated version you see nipples version you see a little bit of nipples you get some more violence maybe and some just some some weirdness yeah. some generic weirdness that's yeah. not in the other version yeah the director's <laughs> cut is the version that i have and it's the only one that i remember so i i may have seen the theatrical cut that first time but like i've watched the director's cut so many times since then that that's the version that makes sense to me okay um cool. there's only like so five we- extra minutes and like when when you kevin reached out to me to say like what version are you watching and i i responded with there can't have been too much extra on the cutting there can floor. be only one like there's the director's cut when i saw that on the first version i was like well what the hell did i get into and then i watched it i was yeah. like this is just the regular cut apparently the director liked it and they rebatched it <laughs> there was yeah there was some shit that was in here that had me thinking they were scraping the bottom of like every yeah. frame of film they had to to stitch the story which, which again i would love to know like I, I wish that it was required of the film industry for for them to keep like a captain's log of every day to be like you would not believe the shit that happened today <laughs> so that we so that for our benefit we could go back and say uh, what why i also want to just shout out two more people that are in this because i love them I'll well do it um one person is apparently in the movie but Having watched the movie now, I never saw him or recognized him. Okay. That is Christopher Malcolm playing a, a character named Kurt Matunas. Oh, shit. He's the, the vigilante guy at the end of the movie. What else does he do? He was 
Echo Base, this is Rogue Two. I found them. <laughs> Repeat, I found oh, them. Man, oh, man, he looks so phone. different. I never would have put that together. He, never in a... In, I'm sitting here right now, and I'm like, Matunas, who's Matunas? And I was like, holy shit, it's the guy that like shot the shot the dude up he, at the end of the movie. He looked a little, yeah. little worse for wear. Yeah, he, well, he looked more svelte, I guess, because he wasn't wearing like all the pilot's yeah. get up and okay. stuff. But anyway, yeah. so Christopher Malcolm as, as the vigilante dude from the like second to last act of the movie. That's Rogue Two from Empire Strikes Back. And then also, <laughs> the amazing... James Cosmo, who, if you can't get any other, like uh, the uh, the Brian Gleasons of the world, oh, he's Irish, but if you can't get yeah, any yeah. of those other guys, like he's the guy, like Angus, he plays Angus McLeod, like yes. the, the cousin. So I did. He's, yeah. um, he he's was in, like, he was William Wallace's sort of surrogate father in Braveheart, yeah. his best friend's dad. Yeah. Who I think he was raised with. He was also um, somebody in Game of Thrones, was it? Mormont or something? Someone up on the wall, he, I think. Yeah, he was uh, a Jorah's dad. Okay, yeah, Mormont. Yeah. So, good for him that he's still working. Yeah, he's iconic. He's Hell yeah. fucking he's killing it. Fucking love some a good Scotsman. <laughs> yeah, man. Shout out, uh, Brian Cox. <laughs> yes. No shout out, Christopher Lambert. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. We do not shout you out. Oh, man, we're going to get into some... We're going to get into some... Uh, uh, Kevin Costner level accent discussion. <laughs> There's weird shit happening. Okay. Oh, All right. Yeah. yeah, we'll get to it. So the movie opens a little studio canal animation and then followed by Canon Films, which you said was not on the theatrical. Yeah, so so, so on the on the the HBO version, it's a 20th Century Fox animation, that classic animation, and then it's followed by um uh, something else, but not I think it just goes right canon. into the movie. No, so it just it maybe, just says that it's a uh production of whoever they're producing. So maybe Canon had like the international rights or the home video rights or something and they they own the director's cut version distribution or something like that. I don't know. But there's no no sign of Golan or Globus's names on the credits. So I think they were just distributors, not like I mean there's no there's no printed text that has their names, but their fingerprints are all over this. (laughs) Yeah. With the only the only exception being that we only get like some very mild product placement here and there. <laughs> yeah. like, there was yeah. no there was no Pepsi or Energizer in medieval Scotland. <laughs> movie, which is a real which, damn shame. Which would have been the case if you had Stallone playing the Highlander. Um, I'd watch that. Yeah. I would too. Oh, hell yes. <laughs> It'd be amazing. It, it opens, uh, the movie opens with a little Sean Connery voiceover. I won't try to do the impression, but if anyone else has a great Connery. From the can... dawn of time we came, moving silently down through the centuries, leaving many <laughs> secret lives. Struggling to reach the time of the gathering, when the few who remain will battle to the last. No one has ever known we were among you until now. Awesome. Thank you, John. <laughs> yeah, so a flaw for me right off the bat is that these immortals, like they don't have a they don't have a name for their kind. Right. They're just like they never call themselves anything. No. Really. They're yeah. just they'll mention that they are immortal, but they're not like they could even just say we're the immortals or something. Say, give me something. So I, I think that's the one big plot hole, and I, w- I want to get to that in a second because it's later. But the the other thing is, I don't think any movie that starts with a prologue, direct like speech, is off to a good start. No, you guys have some exposition yeah, right off the top. Yeah, but also it's like, yeah, we're we're setting up the, who whoever these quote unquote immortals are, but it's like that's that's basically as much information as we ever get about them, except for like the the only manner by which they can die but then yeah. there's so many plot holes around like well what does it mean to be an immortal like 
Right. What, the, who it makes are it they? sound Why like they've they? all existed from the dawn of time or something, but that's not the case. It's very clear that they're being born at certain points. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I, think, I a... think that's the plot hole. Have you ever, have either of you ever read or heard of, you may have heard just from talking to me, but the Dark is Rising sequence by the author Susan Cooper. Ooh, no. Have either of you ever heard of that? So it is, she was an author and playwright, I believe, who married Hume Cronin after Jessica Tandy died. They they got married like late in life, but she was a talented author and she wrote this series of books that was like, it was sort of like young adult fantasy, but um, based around Arthurian legend. And in those books, she presents this concept of like it's light versus dark and the dark are only ever referred to as the dark, but the old ones who are the guardians of the light that's like they're called the old ones. So when I was okay. watching this, I was like, well, that just sounds like the old ones. And then you have the dark and, but it's like, at least call them something. Call them something. Give them a call name. them Jedis and Siths. Call them something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we're off to a rip roaring start here. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, Queens, Princes of the Universe blasts over the opening credits. And I, that queen hits hard, man. It does. Like, that song was a fucking banger. Yeah. yeah. I liked that one. Um, and these songs, the songs on this, on the soundtrack for the most part, for the most part, there's some that don't because there are a couple of ballads that are like, eh. But like the the ones that rock, they rock hard. They're like, they're dark for queen. It was kind of like <laughs> yeah. more metal than we're used yeah, to yeah, for yeah. queen. Um, but I think they were original song written like original songs for this movie for the most part, right? Yeah, it's, it feels a lot like I'm gonna. This is a comparison that doesn't belong here, but Simon yeah, and Garfunkel do doing the Graduate. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, is, or Cat this, uh, Cat Stevens on is, Harold and Maude. Yeah, this is their like Graduate or Harold and Maude, where they're like, all right, <laughs> yeah, we're into this. This would have been shortly, shortly after they, or around the time that they reconciled. So they were probably like, we need okay. to be like making as much paper as we can now that we're a united group. And they were like, we're going to stop releasing songs as individuals and only release songs as the yeah. band Queen. I saw, I, I, so if these were all songs written around 84, 85 or something, that was like before Freddie got sick. Right. Right. But. Yeah, I was just like I in my mind. Well, maybe it was before even that. Uh, what I was just talking about. I don't know. I don't know. But in my mind, I was just like thinking Queen had already sort of come and gone by the like late eighties. But I didn't realize. When was they Flash were... Gordon? Ooh, I, that I one. That was I like eighty one. I think it was like eighty or eighty one. I mean, something. all the all the tracks of this made up their next record. It's a kind of magic, which um, definitely yeah. influenced because hey, they say that line a couple times. It's a times kind of magic. <laughs> Boosting record sales. So the the action of the movie, it picks up in Madison Square Garden where the fabulous Freebirds hailing from Bad Street, USA in Atlanta, Georgia yeah. are entering the wrestling ring. They are wearing the gayest stars and bars that has ever existed. <laughs> the, the fucking sequined Confederate flag yeah. cape. It was like some, <laughs> some, some Confederate drag queen type stuff. Yeah. The gay part is the awesome part. Yeah. I want to give a shout out also to a friend of the podcast dearly departed Rick Hulsey, who used Aww. to call his de- his apartment bad street usa that's awesome he was a big uh, Freebirds fan so and shout out to old school wrestling yeah I'll, I'll, uh, three guys with a combined weight of 745 pounds lots of bleach a lot of bleached mullets <laughs> the way you're like, fucking loving the raw sexuality the headbutting of the turnbuckle yes <laughs> oh, dude yeah. There was a creepy edit where like dude was sort of sexy removing his robe and they showed this young child girl licking her lips as the dude was disrobing <laughs> like fucking that I'm gonna that's the first of many times I'm gonna call out the editor Peter Honus God rest his soul I don't know that he's dead but 
<laughs> but um, there's he's this, dead to me. Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there was a crazy impressive like crane shot that sweeped through the whole arena. Oh yeah, I don't quite know how they so did that. They shot. said on Amazon the details said that that was a shot that was rigged up where it was sort of like what they do now in NFL games where they've got the camera rigged up on a cable. And okay. so they had the camera rigged up on four cables and were basically like zip lining it through the stadium and then having it turn somehow as it was coming around. It was for fucking that shot. a killer shot. And then, and, it, was but then cool. it zoomed back up. I was like, that is crazy. I was like, I don't know how you did this. I'm impressed. Yeah, it was really awesome. So that shot, yeah, sweeps through the whole arena, takes us over to where Connor McLeod, that's uh, Christopher Lambert, is seated. He's got very little interest in the action in right. the ring. Yeah. He's the most unhappy that anyone has ever been <laughs> at a wrestling match. Like he paid, he paid to be there. Like he right. could have just waited home. in the parking garage. So I, I read that that apparently they originally wanted this to be an NHL match. But that the NHL, when they found out that they just wanted it to be something violent that was triggering PTSD, were like, no, thank you. We don't want to be a part of that. Oh, pff. yeah. Okay, NHL. <laughs> well, so, yeah, as the fans are rooting on all the violence in the ring, McLeod, as we mentioned, seems like he's having some sort of a PTSD episode. Um, I will tell you, as a viewer that was coming into this movie cold, the the chances that I thought I'd get to see some vintage pro wrestling action in this movie were close to zero. I was shocked to see <laughs> the like, Freebirds. There was this Dom DeLuise looking motherfucker like yelling in uh, McLeod's ear, say, you gotta love it. <laughs> Just yelling in his face. Oh my God. <laughs> then it cuts to medieval Scotland, of course. Naturally. The next, yeah. <laughs> where there's like a Braveheart style battle raging. I did read where apparently all these extras that they had for the battle scenes were like university students. That's wherever cool. in Scotland they were all fucking shit house drunk while they were filming <laughs> like they were they were hammered just to stay warm that's awesome that's amazing so, I love that now back in the arena McLeod he gets up out of his seat leaves yeah, he's like, he like whips around like something's gotten his attention but we can't really like he sent something he, but something, we don't know why yeah. so I just like you said why did he even come here so we now know he's going solo to a pro wrestling event just to freak out and leave we know yeah. too What's about to happen? He's sitting in a hard chair wearing a trench coat with a katana inside of it. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. I did. Like, yeah. This was the era where you could take a full fucking samurai sword into a sports arena. Well, that, and like how that's comfortable. Like, how do you even sit down with a straight four feet long piece of metal into a, yeah. an arena chair? I, I, it would have been awesome if he was sitting, like how you do sometimes where you sit on the chair while it's like folded up and you kind of sit on it so the sword can go down. One stiff leg. <laughs> so the sword can go down between the seat. Oh this, my God. This may be a hot take though. I love McLeod's style. Like you liked it. I oh, was wondering, man. Oh man, I thought, his preppy I skinny jeans and that kick ass trench coat. If he was wearing anything other than white sneakers, sneakers I would have been, yeah. I, I was on board, but Dirty he, white sneakers. he wears those fucking white sneakers the whole movie. And I was like, you dork, like, <laughs> like any, like, especially at the end of the movie where he goes to the last battle, and we'll get to this too, but he's wearing the, the same white sneaks. And I'm like, man, come on. I mean, it must <laughs> be like lucky classic, or something. Those are like classic Stan Smiths or something though. They're I like, know, I guess, maybe. but yeah, he goes down, he, he leaves, he goes down to this desolate parking garage, seems to sense that something is amiss. Do you they see how a, many kick-ass cars were in that? First I was thinking moment. this thing. Dude, it's like the place is that full Mustang of like, was fucking killer. The gold Mustang. The there's fucking a T-bird in there. Like, it's like a bright, right. The red bird. one. Yeah, I think it's. Yeah, a, dude. Um, 
It was amazing. It was it was sweet. That was in my notes too, but I was like, I don't know if anyone else caught on to that. But oh, yeah. dude, that's rad. They make a big deal of him stepping on a soda can for some reason. Well, it sounds like he hears the sound of the soda can and he's like, what's that? And he's like, oh, oh shit, never I mind. Stepped I stepped on it. On it. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking moron. Like, what? So now he walks slowly over to his car. This dude who looks like a clone of Michael Caine jumps out, uh, calls him by his name, Connor McLeod. Where the this fuck is- does he come from? He just pops out of nowhere. We see the shot right before that showing that pillar and then he just appears. Yeah. But we, I guess we'll see, right, very skilled immortals seem to be able to disappear and appear, like, we don't, quickly or we something. We will never know what yeah. the extent of their powers are. Not <laughs> one time in this movie will it become clear what they're capable of at all. I can Nothing appear, will become clear. I can appear and disappear, but I'm going to definitely step on this fucking Coke well, can in the but, middle but, of but, the park. We, we get into the thing. It's like sometimes you can sense someone, but other times they can be right next to you and you won't know they're there. It doesn't make any sense at all. So this dude is Fassel, and Fassel had an interesting look to me. He had like the tailored suit and the mirrored aviators. Yeah, I thought he looked cool. I thought, yeah, I, I myself, I thought McLeod just looks kind of like a schlub. Yeah, he like, looks. Who wears jeans with a trench coat and was my and the sneakers? And the sneaks. <laughs> um, but this dude, I thought like, oh, he's just some guy. But he's like, his name's Peter Diamond. He's a fucking legendary stuntman. He was the stunt coordinator for this movie. But he was in all the original Star Wars movies and Raiders of the Lost Ark and James Bond movies. Oh my God, I like, didn't know that. That's awesome. He was the stunt coordinator, Ooh. I think, for all the Star Wars movies, the original trilogy. Fucking guys. So he's a, a legend of a British film. Yeah, I love it. But like he, like, McLeod. And McLeod turns around and is like, wait. Facile. Wait. <laughs> Wait for what? Wait for what? No. Seal at that moment, he produces this gilded sword from his overcoat <laughs> and swings it at McLeod. McLeod dodges the swings. He draws a fucking full katana out of his trench oh, coat. Oh, shit. That's where you keep your swords. That's <laughs> like that. In your trench coat. Why give each so, other the heads up? Like, no, I don't he know. Like, jump, jump out and him. stab him. If the goal is to chop his head off. Chop his head off. He's never, he's not there. Like, make him, make him be ready. So, and we're going to talk about this a lot, but this will be the first time that I'll mention it in that in a world, in a world where you know that the only way you can kill your opponent is to chop their head off. There's an awful lot of attempts to stab people, (laughs) to vaguely maim people. No one is out to, I'm like, chop that dude's fucking arm off. Like, cause we know they can be hurt. Like hurt, like incapacitate them and then execute them. But it's like, people are like, I'm going to stab you. I'm going to stab you. I'm going to stab you. It's like, uh, you've been doing this for centuries and you've learned nothing. Anyway. Yeah. The the two men, they circle each other for a moment and they go at it. Sparks are flying like crazy when they're hitting each other and hitting the, hitting the cars and stuff. So we gather there's something supernatural going on here. Uh, McLeod, he loses track of (laughs) Fazl, who then pops out and hacks at an electrical conduit box thing, which causes all the fluorescent lights in there to start just flashing intermittently because that's how that shit works. Yeah, yeah. they're all connected. Exactly. It's the same fucking phenomenon <laughs> we mentioned in Cobra, where it's like in movies, if you shoot something or smash something that's working or it, not working, it it'll all cash, of a sudden right? start working or stop working or work in a way that looks cool for filming. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it's like the, the scene in Tango and Cash in a parking garage yeah. where, the, where you're driving through a tunnel of lights somehow. They're all like hanging down. Or any, any Star Wars thing. Let me just pick up this rock and throw it at the blast door panel and it'll make the door close yeah or whatever you know yeah, of course it always works um 
Now, <laughs> Fazzle, he pops out again. They cross swords. Fazzle knocks some cloud down, and then he runs away. Yeah. What? <laughs> Why? <laughs> what? Why would you get the upper hand and run away? I don't know. McLeod runs after him. They're running across the hood of cars. They trade some more blows. McLeod goes for the kill, but he hits one of those famous uh, parking garage steam pipes. <laughs> yep, every pipe in there is full of steam. <laughs> yeah, the Madison Square Garden parking garage is dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> so then Fazzle, he sets his sword down, does a backflip off the hood what of the car, the hell? picks the sword up, and runs off. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the, the choreography of this fight was fucking terrible, dude. Uh, the first of Agreed. many. It yeah. seems like, first of all, I thought like, oh, God, well, so neither of these guys knows the first thing about sword fighting. Kirk, but that clearly. The stunt coordinator, this should be like something that he's done for decades. Yeah. Maybe, I, I have no clue. But the fire, uh, the sprinklers, they start going off. It's raining water. They fight on. Fazil disarms McLeod, but then gives him time to like pick up some sort of firefighting tool. Yeah. I don't know what that was. All right. So I read in, in like in a lot of whatever the place where you keep the hose and the axe and everything, they'll have what's called a forced entry tool. And okay. there are many different kinds of forced entry tools. And so this might be something that's just is to bust a, a window out or just something there or? to bust windows out. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's it's sort of a what thing. it looks like. Yeah. You, you couldn't right. use an axe for that. Right. I mean, what? <laughs> but most of the forced entry tools that I saw had like a hook on them or an axe blade. I've on seen those where, yeah, you sort of poke through a wall that's yeah. burnt on fire or something. And you okay. could like pull it down and stuff. But anyway, I think that that's what it's supposed to be, but it looks like a fucking towel rack. Yes, it did. It looked like a curtain rod. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so now they go at it for a little bit and then Fazzle just burst into this long series of fucking backhand springs all the way across the parking lot. <laughs> well, he's doing them. Then there's a shot of him running. Then a shot. Then more shots of and him doing backflips. So yeah. yeah, and it's yeah. like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on, he editor? Stopped it. Took a yeah. deep breath, and then he continued. <laughs> he lost momentum, and he was like, "I got to get running again so I can do more backflips." Uh, where did his sword go? He didn't have his sword during any of this. Yeah, I don't know. Did he know. tuck it in the in his sheath down his pants? <laughs> he threw it. He he like sets it down. I don't know. But it's we, wild. I like all the random B-roll shots of like lights flicker, flickering and Fazil running through the garage, and I'm like, I don't understand like. These guys have both had each other on the ropes for ripe for a kill and did nothing. Well, when I was watching, I was like, the guy who was doing the handsprings was not a good match no. for Fazl. So I'm like, no. wait, there's another, there's a third person here now and he's doing backflips. <laughs> <laughs> like, who the awesome. fuck is this? And then I realized it was supposed to be Fazil and I'm just like, oh, okay, I guess so. But it makes zero sense in the context of the story. Um, so now... McLeod, he gets his sword back. The fight goes on. McLeod knocks Fazil's sword away and then lops his head off. It was kind of like surprisingly sudden to me. Yeah. As a first time viewer, I'm just like, holy shit, I didn't see that being well, the ending Well, after everything this. that we had just seen, you would have thought it would have been more dramatic. But it was like kind of anticlimactic in the yeah, end. Yeah, it wasn't. Or as anticlimactic as a beheading can be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, then lots of blue lightning. Yay! Uh, Fazil's body starts levitating up off the ground. The blue lightning causes all the nearby cars. They start going fucking haywire, like nah, headlights and oil. it's not the blue lightning. Fassel's soul fucks every car in that parking garage. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, oh, fucked it? Oh, yeah. We should <laughs> also mention that, that it, because it'll become important later, that when McLeod took the big swing with his katana that decapitated Fasil, like his he swung oh, so true. hard that he lodged his blade in, in a pillar in like the parking garage pillar, and then like, yeah. had to like, struggle to get it out of the pillar. Good shout, John. 
but yeah, all the a bright light is shining on McLeod now for some reason. I don't know if that was meant to be a headlights on one of the cars or something. And um, yeah, the cars just begin to flat out explode. <laughs> then we hear police sirens in the distance, which who fucking called the cops? Yeah, like they're here already. Who called the I cops? Did someone the walk in and maybe see a sword the sprinklers fight? went yeah. off or something? I assume we'll get like, okay. sprinklers are going off that like that might have Calling triggered all some cars. sort of alarm. <laughs> maybe. It didn't so evacuate now, Madison Square Garden, but like nah. wrestling was happening, so fine. That's right. People were too enthralled by the Freebirds. So McLeod gets up and he hides his katana up in some sort of an overhead contraption. I think that's the. I don't light. know what that I was. I think that's the hanging, like a hanging. It's a light. Fluorescent light. Oh, I've light. seen those in garages before. Okay. I thought it was some kind of fixture or something too, but there was no bulb. I mean, it, it was. was dark. It was just yeah. weird, but yeah. So all the bulbs anyway. exploded when that's, the castle banged true. every electronic <laughs> in the area. That's true. He doesn't take any notes though about where he saved it. It's on the, t- <laughs> the floor with the pillar that has the graffiti that says Tommy. Yes. <laughs> Maybe he's like next to the blood stain, perhaps <laughs> next to where is that? Next to the head. <laughs> I don't know. But cut to medieval Scotland. Yeah, where we see McLeod is being faded as they head off to battle. He's got this entourage. They're leaving their castle. Bagpipes are blasting. People are coming to see them off. There's this town crier that's cluing us in that the year is 1536. You see. Shit like this, and you realize how good the production value, like on uh, Braveheart, is. Yeah, compared to Big time. other movies that are trying to do it, trying to do something epic on the cheap, you know. Um, like this part of like the battle that was happening earlier just feels like kind of small and cheap. Yeah, to me, definitely. Whatever, but it, it's not too bad though. It's not like a matte painting in a in a studio no, somewhere. It seems I'm like, like they're it on made, site. It made me want to go to Scotland, man. All yeah. this stuff. So I'm this like, was, shit, that's yeah, a real this was shot in Glencoe where my sisters and my mom just went a few months back. Ah. And, and my sister said it was like one of the most beautiful places. Like Facebook regularly gives me pictures of Glencoe. And I, I'm like, yeah, I want to die uh, there. Yeah. I want to be there now. <laughs> that's awesome. So McLeod and his two close friends, they're joking with each other. The one of the guys is what we mentioned earlier, James Cosmo. Um, I think they're supposed to be his cousins. They're I think all they're McLeods. all McLeods. Yeah. They're all yeah. the clan McLeod. Dougal and whatever the Angus. other guy's name. Yeah, Angus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other dude didn't know him from anything else. He kind of looked like a poor man's Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. Um, and then this woman who's also a McLeod. She's a supposed to be his wife. What? This is his first wife. Damn. Okay, that adds a whole layer of yeah. toxicity. This is supposed to, to be his. This is supposed That's to be Connor McLeod's first wife. Okay, so she looked kind of tarted up. She had like her cleavage all out and and sort of seemed to have like lipstick yeah. on. She seemed way too clean for the year 1536. Yeah. yeah. But um, she's chasing after McLeod. She gives him some flowers and wishes for a safe return. The dudes have nothing but jokes about like McLeod banging his wife and right. all this. But um, now we're on a gloomy battlefield. The evil army arrives led by Kurgan. That's Clancy Brown. Right. What a fucking look he had. Yeah, just like skull armor or whatever. Yeah, so I don't feel like he's leading the army. I think he's shown That's up true. for the rival clan, and he's like, You're right. he's like, like a mer- he's like a mercenary. He's a Hessian. For the, yeah, he's for he's well aware that they're like the two clans are going to fight, and the Kurgan is like, all right, I want to be here, but that guy's mine. Otherwise, you're gonna lose this battle. And his helmet is like. The skull of some creature that's never existed on Earth. I don't know what that was supposed it, to be. It's suppo- it looks to me like a facsimile of like a giant rodent or something <laughs> with like plumage sticking you know out of the back uh, of it. No, he's not that old. I was trying to think like he is pretty old, like is some sort of ice age, like one of those 
giant yeah, bears, tigers. Oh yeah, good call. Yeah, I mean yeah. from but, um, from the uh, the opening monologue that Connor gives us, they've existed since the dawn of time, except not. Yeah, all I of guess them. they were like prehistoric yeah. men at that time. Yeah, in the Ice Age sort yeah. of. Well, we're era. gonna get into more about like the Kurgan. <laughs> who, at this point, they just, just like refer to him as as Kurgan, yeah. but then we find out that he is a, a Kurgan. Kurgan. He's <laughs> not even the Kurgan. No, he's he's a, just an, a Kurgan. He is an Kurgan. He's, he's the last <laughs> of the Kurgans. Yeah, and then I started thinking of like um, that the, the Kurgans exist in the same universe. Like they they were like um, Gozer worshippers in ancient Samaria. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and whatever whatever the era was that Conan the Barbarian lived yes, in. Like, yes, um, exactly. Yeah, this sort of era lost in time atlantis was a thing probably yeah, exactly but um yeah so we got this supernatural lightning and thunder it seems to have mcleod and his army spooked the kurgan tells the leader of the rival clan to remember our agreement that the one called connor mcleod is mine you know, he's for me and me alone so the rival clan knows all the mcleods by name by name and picture they, they have like a facebook they that they were flipping through ahead of time to be like all right <laughs> this guy's mcleod He's Connor. Yeah. His skills are blank, blank, and blank. Yeah, they had cross-stitched wanted posters up in Castle Murdoch or whatever the fuck it was. Which is like, <laughs> there is so many questions. As we learn, oh, yeah. like, no one could kill him anyway, right? Right. I guess, could a random person lop a immortal's head off and the immortal would be I dead? I think so. I, I if they assume, knew if they knew that's what you had to do, I don't think it would even result it was, in like the quickening where they like absorb each other's powers. Maybe that just gets lost and redistributed, but that's never that, addressed. Yeah, that's a good question. Is okay. like it, like what happens to an immortal's quickening if they're killed by a regular person? Does just I guess the universe just absorbs it and that's that. There, no one gets that power. Yeah. Got, we can get to it a little bit later when it starts getting mentioned. I'm just, I'm also curious just how Kurgan even knew that Connor McCloud existed or found. Because him. sometimes there's like a immortal, radar. Sometimes an immortal yeah. has a radar. Sometimes, okay. but I've, only I've sometimes. Some notes, I've got some notes for later episodes um, that I spent way too much time on, like the Highlander <laughs> wiki. Ooh, no, that's nice. fine. Reading shit. I can't wait to yeah. talk but, about um, that shit. But yeah, they so, all know each other by name. Like it's an odd. Like brotherhood. It is. They and it's unlikely you'd ever meet each other or that you'd meet each other and both survive the encounter right. to meet again. Which fucking the Kurgan like every he's like, never mind, we'll meet later. See you later, buddy. It's yeah. like, why? Fucking kill these guys. Yeah, they, they can't kill they you. They can't kill you. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, it's so but, stupid. But the 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 rival clan, their leader yells out, Death to the McLeods, charges, battle breaks out, no one's attacking McLeod. McLeod dismounts his horse. He just screams McLeod, yeah. and then he's like puzzled why no one will fight him. He's walking around aimlessly, just muttering like, McLeod, fight me, fight me. All of his men are being hacked to pieces, yeah. and like no one's coming for him. I was also just noticing Lambert's long hair, and I feel like it's real. I feel like he had long hair for Tarzan. I feel like he could have shot all these early scenes with real well, hair. That makes sense, because well, that'll be the yeah. first time that we'll mention that his hair length changes so many times throughout this movie that it's like, the fuck is happening? But it could, it should change from when huge amounts of time are passing, but are you saying it's changing from scene like, to scene? In the scenes where he has, sh like in 1985, even from scene to scene, it's like his hair length uh, changes, okay. and it's like it's longer in one scene, it's it's long they enough to be fully probably went into some back. pickups and stuff, and they, Had the, the continuity of hair got fucked. But um, he yeah he's wandering around. There's this bizarre moment where the priest like slit some dude's throat. I like that priest. Yeah, that warrior priest. <laughs> uh, Kurgan he's fighting his way towards McLeod. Suddenly Kurgan is right behind McLeod on his horse. 
You get startled, McLeod does, by this, like, fearsome sight of the Kurgan. Right. Kurgan hops off his horse, instantly stabs McLeod in the chest. Just. Or whatever, in the side. He's not the- ready for battle. Well, so we're supposed, to, we're supposed to gather from the conversation with him and both cousins, Dougal and Angus earlier that this is his first battle, which means that I think he's supposed he, to be 18 years old. Uh, uh, McLeod is <laughs> 38. Yeah. <laughs> 48. Maybe yeah, for real. <laughs> anyway, though, why not? Why didn't he cut dude's head off just because the movie would be over? I, I if, like yeah. he like clearly outclassed. Just cut the fuck like cut his head off. off. Yeah, he's standing there. He's savoring having stabbed McLeod. McLeod's friends see that he's in trouble. They run over, and Kurgan's looming over McLeod, like ready to cut his head off. Says the line: "There can be only one." First occurrence of the famous line: "More supernatural lightning." Happening yeah, get a little like oh, yeah. mini quickening or whatever happening. Uh, McLeod's mates they run over, tackle the Kurgan, who just screams out. Another time, McLeod. Yeah, I give up. And, Uncle, and he's driven Mate. away. And I'm like, wait, how did he? Did they hack him up and think he was dead? Maybe. And then I don't know what would have happened there. He could have dispatched those two with ease. I would think. Like he got tackled by three or four guys who would not have known that he was immortal. And then he could have killed. That's why each I think they them. might have stabbed him in the chest, and then you just leave him where he lays and thinking I, he's dead. I, I don't mean, know. Could have killed the whole army. The Kurgan could have. Like yeah, that would surely. not have been a problem. So McLeod, he's lying there gravely wounded on the battlefield. All right. Cut back to 1985. Mm-hmm. McLeod, he's hauling ass through the Madison Square Garden parking garage. The sweet little car. The vintage Porsche. Props to that stunt driver. It was like the one that uh, Charlie drove in Top Gun. And yeah. you know, that, that model, badass. It's a Porsche 356 Speedster. He reaches the exit. Police cars arrive from every direction simultaneously and block him in. Who called these cops? Like, they just were there quick. But yeah, I guess a, yeah, well, it must have been the fire alarm. Credited or to the fire alarm. Yeah. Uh, they immediately take him into custody with guns drawn. Yeah. Now, if you were responding to a fire alarm, you would not just be first guy you see were drawing guns. Yeah, on that's him. the thing is, like, no one knew anything about the violence happening in the garage. Unless someone witnessed it and called, and like, there's a sword fight going on. But they would that's have had the to run upstairs, <laughs> run upstairs, get a hold of a guard or a payphone. That would, yeah, he would have been long gone. Or perhaps they assumed that he's some sort of arsonist, the way he's tearing ass out of the parking lot, and they got a fire <laughs> Maybe alarm. Maybe yeah. That's what I'm just wondering. Are they even aware that a crime has been committed? Yeah. I don't know. New York but cops McLeod, in the 80s, man. Yeah, that's true. McLeod gets out of his car. They grab him and start roughing him up, like, immediately. Slam him against yeah, the there's car. One, they're frisking one him. One featured asshole cop who is Garfield. especially smarmy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, lots of excessive force here for, for what, at most, would have been, like, a call about some sword fighting. Or <laughs> this guy's speeding in the parking garage. Which, in the, yeah, in the 80s in New York is like, yeah, that's, that's okay. Yeah, fine. I mean, the there's, like, take... 40 police on site for this also, which yeah. seems like a job Calling for like all cars. two tops. Dozens and dozens of police officers out Someone there. hacked the steam pipe again. <laughs> <laughs> bring, bring the SWAT team. Now, a cop takes the wallet out of uh, McLeod's pocket. He identifies him as Mr. Nash. Mm-hmm. Says he wants to know where you're going in such a hurry. Uh, the cop yanks McLeod's arm to try to cuff him. And McLeod knocks the guy down. Like that's instant death in 2022. Yep. Now more cops they pounce on McLeod, including one with a gun pressed to his temple. That's so that's, yeah. that's that same dude, that right? same asshole cop that's runs Garfield. up and is like, "I'm gonna shoot you in the face." Don't right. move, pal. Don't even breathe. That's a good impersonation. That, that dude was, was fucking savoring that role too. Yeah. Man. yeah. All 
All right, cut back to 1536. There's this long beauty shot of the castle and the moat and like silhouette. It's dawn or dusk. Another or one something. of those great transitions happened. Yeah, right yeah. Here too. All yeah. the wipes, all the wipes forward and backwards through time, like where you sort of pan into an inanimate, inanimate object and then you come out and you're in a different place is kind of cool. So we should have like a strikes, like strikes and good marks for the editor. So far, like so far, like they're like balancing the, out. Yeah. yeah, I would say all, so far all the transitions have been good. There's the priest. He's like performing last rites from a cloud. He seems to be at death's door. Sweet that Mohawk woman who priest. is... Yeah, yeah, that dude's dude, awesome. Dude. Pretty <laughs> rad. He had, he had like shaved all the way around except for one like kind of tall mm-hmm. strip in the front. I loved it. Yep. That that tart woman who maybe is his wife. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, well, she's wailing. The yep. friends tell her to quiet down. He's a Highlander by God. And the last sound he hears should not be a wailing woman. Amen. <laughs> That's some good old fashioned misogyny right I'm pretty there. Pretty sure there's bagpipes like blasting in the background though. So like, <laughs> yeah, the dude, the dude's right outside, the pipes. Like, wailing a lament. Well, it's like. Wait, if that's his wife, you're telling the wife to shut her shut trap. Shut up, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But so back in 1985, it's fucking chaos in the parking garage. The police are working the murder scene. The fucking headless corpse is just laying there for the world to see. Now we got Brenda Wyatt. She's like a forensics tech. She arrives as the sheet is being pulled over the body mm-hmm. of Fazil. She's pissed that she didn't get called earlier. She asks if they made an arrest and they say no, but we're holding somebody named Nash for questioning. And for some reason, include the detail that he's an antiques dealer to the forensics person because that's information she needs. Um, Odd thing to mention. One of the homicide detectives tries to flirt with Brenda. Total fucking creep. Hey, you look really pretty tonight or something shit like that. That's John Polito, who um, I most remembered as Bigelow, the guy that owned the airstrip in The Rocketeer. But he was also (laughs) he was also Defino, the private the private investigator who was in the in the Volkswagen Beetle. Who's like staking out? Um, he was watching Lebowski and Big Lebowski. Oh. And he, he's, he's like, I, what he calls himself? I'm an old shamaner. I'm an, I can't even remember what he <laughs> uh, Seamus or something like that. And he's like, what? So, um, yeah. <laughs> so that awesome. dude, like, very recognizable look. Uh, he's just sex, open sexual harassment yeah. of his coworker here. Um, now the beat cop, the one who put the gun to McLeod's head, he tries cracking a joke with the lieutenant who's shown up, who's in charge. Like he isn't in a laughing mood. The citizens are all fucking pissed off because they're not allowed to leave. They're not allowed to get to their cars. Brenda, she starts looking around the scene for some forensic evidence, I guess. Seems to find something. Instantly. Yeah. Instantly. The homicide detectives, they're over there discussing, you know, there was another beheading just like this recently in New Jersey. You don't say. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, the Frank, lieutenant just dismissed yeah, it. Frank, like, Frank oh, that's Jersey. That dude's name is Frank, and he's like, well, yeah, that's Jersey, so I didn't think anything about it. <laughs> yeah, that's normal. So Brenda calls that lieutenant over. He seems to trip over the corpse, right? Or slip on the blood or something. It's pretty <laughs> funny. It's like Shaun of the Dead. He's fucking up the scene here. Brenda has found Fazil's gilded sword under a car. Says it's a rare Toledo Salamanca sword worth about a million dollars. Wait, 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 wait. Huh? Yeah. She's very knowledgeable for a forensics tech. We, we find out later what's going on here a little bit, but I tried to research even that's not even like a real thing at Toledo Salamanca. I was like, oh, that must be a, like a... It's some sort of like, um, if you've well, watched Toledo's the movie a type Broadsword, of metal, maybe. Yeah, but it, it looks like like the broadswords that Tim Roth and, and yeah. Liam Neeson it use. It looks like the shit you've seen in... Um, Rob Roy. And in uh, Princess Bride. Yeah. Like that they're dueling with and stuff. These just very ornate... Sort yeah. of fencing. Well, that's swords. even like a rapier. Like this thing would have been like bigger, stronger, thicker steel. But I mean, it's like 
how the fuck these cops missed it lying uh, here. Yeah, right it's under just glittering it's and right gold. She just walked past the body like 10 steps and was like, oh, fuck, there's a huge sword over here. I wonder <laughs> uh-huh. if this is involved. <laughs> so nah, Brenda, that's just a parking garage sword. Let's put it back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brenda makes the connection that, you know, an antique dealer might have access to a sword like this. Uh-huh. Um, brainwave. That would have <laughs> been the time to call out that, oh, well, our guy, the Nash guy was is an, an antique. It's an, like, say it's an antique sword. Oh, the Nash is an. You could have written this movie so much better in your yep. sleep. Yep. But that's where we're going to leave you. What? For this week. Uh, but there's so much more to talk about. We've only done one. We're just getting started here. <laughs> and, there, um, and there have to be five. Damn. Yes, there can, there can only be five. <laughs> um, but we will be back next week with a whole lot more excitement. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, uh, Andrew, for being here. Yes, Andrew. I, I know you're going to continue on this journey with us. You're our, you're our shaman. We need you. Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm your Ramirez. You That's are. right. Oh, thank God. All right. We'll be back. 